Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Thursday, almost made it through the week. Today we are debunking this myth that you are seeing over and over again on social media that the pro-life laws in various states are inhibiting miscarriage care and care for ectopic pregnancies. We are going to talk to a journalist from National Review, Alexandra DeSanctis. She also just came out with a pro-life book called Tearing Us Apart. And she wrote a 4,500-word piece about every pro-life law and all of the exceptions that are included in these pro-life laws to make the point that the laws are not the problem. The laws are not causing doctors to stop caring for the women who are suffering from miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies. So we're going to get into all of that today. I know this is going to be a very equipping episode for you. As always, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, before we get into that conversation, I have yet another follow-up of the things that we have been talking about this week. So on Monday, we talked about how Moms for Liberty was temporarily suspended from Twitter for criticizing the California bill, revoking parents' rights of kids who want to gender transition. We also talked about how PayPal, uh, PayPal suspended their funds, so they couldn't get the donations that people were sending them through PayPal out. And then we followed up yesterday by uh, announcing that Ron DeSantis, after saying, hey, we're going to put an end to that kind of thing. We're going to make sure that these woke corporations can't punish their conservative customers and PayPal unfroze their account. And we basically said, look, that's how you do it. That's how you play this game. That's how you push back. That's uh, the kind of fighter that people want right now. And I know that this is just kind of turning into like a Governor DeSantis fan show. But I want to give you another example of how Republican leaders should be pushing back on all of this madness. Here he is. They talk about these very young kids getting gender-affirming care. What they don't tell you what that is, is they're actually giving very young girls mis double mastectomies. They want to castrate these young boys. That's wrong. And so we've stood up and said, both from the health and children well-being perspective, you know, you don't disfigure 10, 12, 13-year-old kids uh, based on gender dysphoria. 80% of it resolves anyways by the time they get older. So why would you be doing this? I think these doctors need to get sued for what's happening. Sorry. Now, what I appreciate about that is that he is clearly saying what's going on rather than using the left wing euphemisms for gender affirmation surgery or gender transition. He is saying explicitly what's really going on. And then he is following it up with an action saying, hey, these doctors should be sued. Now, I would say that these doctors need to go to prison. I mean, this is genital mutilation of children. Children cannot consent because they don't have the capacity to consent. All every other Republican governor and politician needs to do, though, is just to follow Ron DeSantis's lead in talking about these so-called culture war, which are really moral war issues in this way. People want clarity. 
People want courage. People want strength in the midst of all of the chaos and the confusion and the passivity and the weakness of our current age. We are waiting for people to stand up, not to be our savior and not to save the day because we know that the only savior that we have is Christ, but someone with a little backbone to stand up and say what is true and to do something about what is good, do something for what is good and do something in opposition to the evil that we are seeing perpetuated by progressivism in so many different ways. So once again, good for Governor DeSantis and also good for Moms for Liberty for continuing to stand up. I've got a piece out today um, with World Magazine talking about not just Moms for Liberty, but really the whole movement that that organization represents and why these left-wing activists and the media and the teachers unions and the public education system is so scared of involved parents, parents who care, parents who show up, parents who push back. We will be the determining force for the future of the country. So keep going and stand firm. All right, before we get into our conversation with Alexandra, let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is public square. So Americans are discovering that if we want to change this nation, we have to change the way the marketplace works. You just heard me talk about that crazy story of PayPal freezing the funds of Moms for Liberty. They've done this for other individuals and organizations that don't hold the values that PayPal has. And Public Square is pushing back against that kind of craziness. It is the largest network of patriotic, freedom-loving businesses and consumers. Public Square is the first app to connect freedom-loving Americans with their local community and the businesses that share their values. Whether you want to support a restaurant that only buys from local farms or a coffee shop that took a stand against COVID mandates or a bank that's not going to cancel you for your political views, Public Square is your guide. It's sensor free. They've got community groups so you can connect to other people in your area. You can also post your business for free. It's an awesome service. Download the Public Square app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Create an account and begin your search. You can also list your business for free so your local community can support you. Download the app today. That's Public Square, spelled Public SQ, Public SQ, Public Square. Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us again. I want to talk to you about uh, the messages, the propaganda that a lot of us pro-lifers are seeing in regard to the consequences or the purported consequences of the pro-life laws um, in red states. We are hearing that it's inhibiting miscarriage care. We've heard horror stories of women whose ectopic pregnancies, their fallopian tube has had to rupture before doctors are allowed to intervene. And we're told that all of these terrible tales of woe, and I mean that seriously, are caused by these pro-life laws. So tell us your reporting on this. What have you found? Are these laws leading to this terrible care women are receiving? Yeah, so we've been hearing this now for the the month plus since Roe was overturned, um, that pro-life laws are are going to lead to disastrous health consequences for women. Uh, And as you mentioned, there are these stories kind of trickling out uh, here and there about truly horrible things happening to women. And and the claim from abortion supporters is this is because of pro-life laws. So I decided to just read the pro-life laws um, since they apparently were declining to do so. There's no coverage of of what the text of the laws actually said. Uh, So I went through every state law, and I should say that the Charlotte Lozier Institute also has a great report doing the same thing, 
um, going through the state laws one by one, uh, pointing out the text where it allows for doctors to exercise their best medical judgment in cases of emergency, uh, where many of these laws explicitly say ectopic pregnancy is not the same thing as a direct abortion. Uh, treatment for post-miscarriage care has nothing to do with abortion. Um, and even in cases where states don't say this explicitly, the definition of, of abortion is different from care for an ectopic pregnancy or, or care for a woman after she suffered a miscarriage. So what I found was essentially none of these laws um, have anything to do with what's happening to women, allegedly. If, if women are um, suffering in these types of situations, it's because of a doctor or an attorney or a hospital misreading the laws or, or misapplying them or acting, you know, using poor medical judgment. In other words, it's not the fault of, of the way the laws are written. So what I'm hearing, even from people who call themselves pro-life, is, well, the laws are vague. The law doesn't explicitly carve out an exception for the life of the mother or whatever it is. And it is the vagueness of these laws that is actually causing the confusion that is preventing care for these women. Is that what you found when you read the text of these laws and bills? No, that's simply untrue. Every single, I looked at the, the, the laws in 23 states, which are any state that has anything from a 15-week protection for unborn children or anything from, you know, a heartbeat bill or a total or almost total ban on abortion. Every single one has language saying that if a mother's life is at risk or she's at risk of substantial impairment, a doctor can exercise his or her best medical judgment uh, to save both the life of the mother and the baby. And that's kind of the crucial point, I think, right, that a, a baby's life matters too. both the mother's life and the baby's life matter. And there's no medical situation in which a doctor needs to directly kill an unborn child to save a mother's life. He's always able to perform necessary healthcare treatments that might have a side effect of, of harming the baby or, or leading to the baby dying. But that's not the same thing as an elective direct abortion. Right. And even some of these states have like pretty, pretty big leeway. Like if you're looking at the state of Ohio, which of course was the center of that scandalous story about the 10 year old who apparently had to travel to Indiana to receive an abortion after she was raped. If you look at the Ohio abortion law that is currently on the books, it leaves an exception for the doctor to perform an abortion, not just if the physical life of the mother is at risk, but even if her health is at risk. So that's a pretty big exception that a lot of these even red states have. So again, it just doesn't really seem to be adding up to me. No, that's right. And there really is no reason if you look at the text of these laws to think that the laws are the reason why if these situations are happening here or there, why the laws are at fault. And what I found so interesting when I, I wrote this big piece kind of cataloging and pulling the text from every law, putting it together, the response I got from abortion supporters was the text doesn't matter. Uh, even though they've now spent a month saying it's the fault of the text of these laws and they're written too vaguely, then when they saw the text and realized the text actually is not vague at all, it's extremely clear, the response was, well, it's a chilling effect or you know, various other things about how it's not actually about the text, it's just about how there's a, this general fear among doctors because of abortion laws. And to me, it's very clear, all they're trying to do is undermine any pro-life pro law whatsoever. There's no pro-life law that would be written in a way that these people would accept because the goal is not for them to protect women, it's to enable abortion. So what do you think is going on here? If all of these stories are true, or even if some of the stories are true of women in states like Texas and elsewhere, they're going apparently to the emergency room and they have a miscarriage or 
some kind of emergent situation and apparently they are being told, sorry, we have to wait until you are basically dying on the table before we can remove this child, before we can treat you, before we can remove the ectopic pregnancy because of the pro-life law. I'm hearing that it could be because of lawyers, that it could be because of insurance companies, but I'm really curious, like what is actually going on since we know that it's not the fault of the law? Yeah, I mean, it could be any number of things. I think one thing we have to keep in mind is a lot of these stories, at least many of the ones I've seen, are very uh, poorly sourced, not that clear. It isn't super obvious whether these things have actually happened or not. Um, Now, that's not to say it doesn't ever happen, but it's not as though there's evidence of a massive trend across the entire country. So I think we need to keep that in mind. Um, secondly, there's, there, I think, to my mind, there's two other possibilities. One is that you just have bad doctors. Um, and it's certainly possible, right? We, we know there are a lot of bad doctors who don't know what they're doing. Um, and if a doctor really thinks that he can't save a woman's life because of an abortion law, he is mistaken. And either an attorney is telling him that he can't do it, or, um, you know, he himself thinks that he can't save a, mo- a mother's life because it's an abortion. Um, and that leads me to the, the third possibility, which is that abortion supporters are the ones who have caused this confusion, right? Because pro-lifers have been saying since long before Roe was overturned that it's always morally permissible to save a mother's life, even if the healthcare procedure required would have the the indirect effect or the foreseen consequence of the baby being harmed. And of course, that's not ideal. We wouldn't hope that that would happen. We would hope that a doctor would always try to save both of them. But a mother's life is of equal value to her child. Um, And pro-lifers have always said that. That's why these laws are written this way. That's why pro-lifers are trying to clarify them if that's necessary. That's always been the pro-life position. It's the other side of this debate that's trying to pretend that treatment for an ectopic pregnancy or treatment after a miscarriage is the same thing as an abortion because they don't want to defend their position on abortion. They want to just talk about these rare heartbreaking cases. And I think that leads to confusion, right? They're the ones causing confusion. And so if there are doctors out there who sincerely don't know the difference between treatment for an ectopic pregnancy and a direct abortion, that confusion was caused by abortion supporters, not by the pro-life movement. Yes. And something that I have said is that these doctors have always had to navigate some kind of regulation around abortion and miscarriage care. It's not like all of the sudden um, they are having to deal with the law. They've always had to deal with some kind of restriction, some kind of parameter. And they've been able to, I guess, successfully navigate that thus far. So you're telling me that only now right after Roe was overturned, right before the midterms, only now they're confused about how to do their job legally and keep women alive who are suffering ectopics or miscarriages. I just have a hard time believing that. And that doesn't mean that all of these stories are false. But as we like to say in the South, there seems to be a fly in the buttermilk. I don't want to go to the most nefarious, I think, option, which is the possibility that there are bad actors trying to cause this pain and cause this chaos for political purposes that are actually allowing the suffering of women so they can run to the media and say, see, this is what's happening because of these pro-life laws. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would really hope that's not the case. I don't think there's enough evidence to assume that that's happening everywhere. But I do think we have to keep in mind, uh, we're talking about a movement that 
does not put women first, right? This is a movement that that pretends that abortion is healthcare, that pretends that women are better off um, if they have access to abortion, which is an act that kills their own child that is not medically necessary. Um, this is not a movement that has shown a great deal of care for women's health. Think about the the risks posed by abortion, by telemedicine, chemical abortion. Uh, this is a movement that that sues states that try to impose informed consent laws on abortion clinics. Um, and one point I, I've raised is Catholic hospitals haven't been performing elective abortions forever, right? Catholics won't do that. And yet somehow in Catholic hospitals, doctors are perfectly able to treat women with ectopic pregnancies, to care for women after miscarriages, because they know the difference. Um, Pro-life doctors, pro-life people know the difference between directly killing an unborn child and trying to save a mother's life. And so the idea that other doctors can't figure it out, I think is just kind of ridiculous. All right, quick pause to tell you guys about Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is the next generation of dietary supplements. So if you're like me and you've been taking the multivitamins that come in the capsule form or the pill form, you've probably thought that you are doing good for your body. But the reality is, is that all of the ingredients in those kinds of pills and capsules can actually irritate the lining of your stomach and make it more difficult for your body to absorb the nutrients that it needs. That is why doctors and nutritionists created Healthy Cell, a great tasting ingestible gel with 165% more absorption than pills. Healthy Cell's microgel technology ensures maximum absorption of exactly the sort of premium nutrients you need to help support focus, recall, mental speed, rapid learning, no artificial colors or flavoring. It's all good stuff. If it's optimal brain performance you're looking for or your physical performance or even better sleep, then you need to check out Healthy Cell. Visit HealthyCell.com slash Allie. That's HealthyCell.com. Use promo code Allie for 20% off your first order. HealthyCell.com slash Allie. I've seen a lot of um, a, a lot of talk on Instagram that, well, a miscarriage is also an abortion. And therefore, that is why the insurance companies won't cover miscarriage care, or that is why doctors are now confused because it's an abortion. Of course, that is manipulative. Doctors know the difference between what is called sometimes a spontaneous abortion, a miscarriage, and an induced abortion. But it seems like some of them, activists, are pretending that we don't know the difference and that there's not a difference. Yeah, I think there's some, um, you know, sincere confusion from people who have heard that these are labeled the same way medically, which, as you point out, is true. One's called spontaneous abortion. The other one's induced abortion. So that might lead to some actual confusion among people who just haven't done the research and don't know any better. But I think there's a a serious attempt to conflate these things. I mean, there was an op-ed just a couple days ago, maybe yesterday, in the New York Times um, that, that asked, why do we treat miscarriage and abortion differently? And well, it's obvious, right? A miscarriage is an unintended, spontaneous loss of a child's life, and an abortion is an active choice to kill that child. And the idea that these are the same thing is, first of all, wrong, but deeply offensive, I think, to women, to couples who have suffered from a miscarriage and who know this is completely different from an act that chooses to kill that child. Yes. And actually, that is a good question. She is asking it from the wrong end. The question that we also ask as pro-lifers, why do we treat abortion differently than a miscarriage? So in a miscarriage, it's a baby. It's a valuable life. It's something that's mourned. And then abortion, at least on the activist side of it, is just a clump of cells. It's something that's removed. It's something that's empowering. So that's a legitimate question. Why are we treating abortion differently than miscarriage? Why do we react to it differently? 
But the question really is, why do we disregard the humanity and why do we disregard the value of that life when the abortion is induced rather than spontaneous? They believe that we should, I guess, dehumanize the baby in both cases. It's a good question. They just simply have the wrong answer for it. Um, Tell us what happened in Kansas. Why are pro-lifers kind of mourning what happened there? What went on? Yeah, so a couple of days ago, there was a vote on a ballot measure, uh, which would have essentially undone a state Supreme Court ruling in Kansas that had found a right to abortion in the state constitution. So it was essentially a, a state version of Roe v. Wade uh, that happened in 2019. And so since then, uh, pro-lifers have been working to put some kind of ballot measure um, out for voters to kind of to reverse the Supreme Court ruling and to say, actually, our, our state constitution does not protect a right to abortion. Um, and the ballot measure failed uh, pretty significantly by a pretty significant margin. Um, so I think a lot of people are trying to cast this as evidence that Americans at large are very pro-abortion or that there's not a, a an appetite for pro-life policy. But I think what we have to keep in mind is it was kind of a a confusing situation, right? The amendment was not on any particular pro-life policy. It wasn't super clear what laws were going to be put in place after the amendment, uh, if the amendment succeeded. And the other side really got away with framing it as, you know, if this amendment passes, it's going to be a total abortion ban in Kansas, which of course was not factually speaking, not true. It would have just gone back to abortion neutrality. Um, but I think a lot of people probably, you know, bought that line um, and, and yeah. voted on that basis. Yeah. And it's so strange how many professing pro-lifers and even Christians kind of buy that, that, OK, well, I don't like abortion or I want abortion to maybe be restricted in some cases. But they believe that either overturning Roe or something like this would have banned abortion. And they kind of buy this idea. Well, that's unempathetic. That's not nuanced enough. I've seen this a lot among evangelicals after the Dobbs decision was published, that it's so nuanced that we can't possibly support any restriction on abortion. What do you make of that reaction and position? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really common, this is probably where most Americans come down. There's kind of a small segment on one side that wants totally unlimited abortion on demand. The other kind of small segment on the other side, like like you and me, I assume, who want unborn children to be protected at all stages of life. Uh, but in the middle, you have this big group of people who kind of feel like, yeah, it's probably a baby. We should probably protect them most of the time. But what about women? Um, and what about women who are suffering? What about women who need abortion? And I think a lot of people have unfortunately bought the lie that abortion actually is some kind of solution, that women are better off if they have this option, that the fact that women suffer or are abandoned by men or in, are in a difficult position uh, means that sometimes they might need abortion as a necessary evil. And so for me, and that's something Ryan and I talk about in our book at at great length, the idea that abortion is a solution for women is a total lie. Women are not better off because of abortion. No woman is better off if the solution we offer her is to kill her child. And unfortunately, I think too many Americans believe that. So that's really, to me, a a huge uh, goal of the pro-life movement is to convince people that that's not true. Yeah. Tell us about the Biden administration's reaction to the pro-life legislation that has gone into place. I believe I just read that they are now suing the state of Idaho for restricting abortion. Yeah, so I think the Biden administration is in kind of a a tough position. Obviously, Biden tried to bill himself as this pro-abortion champion. He flip-flopped on the Hyde Amendment and now supports forcing taxpayers to fund abortion. Um, But in their immediate response to to the Dobbs ruling, uh, they barely said anything. It took two weeks for there to be any kind of full statement. And when he actually released an executive order, it was very wishy-washy. It was kind of, you know, vocally very supportive of abortion, but there wasn't anything actionable in it. And so I think 
really the administration realizes that if they try to do very much policy-wise, um, it's probably going to get struck down. There are courts that are not going to allow them to overstep the, the executive role here. And so really all they can do is be responsive. So like you point out, if a, a law goes in place somewhere, the DOJ might try to go in and block it and say that it's unacceptable, uh, but they can't do very much uh, or they, I guess they've decided they don't want to risk um, trying to leverage executive authority too much uh, to advance pro-abortion policy. And how big of a factor do you think the abortion issue actually will be in the midterms? I, I don't think it'll be much of a factor at all. Um, I think that the, the number of people who vote with abortion as one of their top line issues is very small. Um, we've seen that in polls even after Roe was overturned. Most Americans still say the economy, you know, gas prices, inflation, these types of things are much more at the top of their mind than abortion is. And in the past, even, even among people who vote um, with abortion as a top priority, pro-lifers typically have an edge. And so that might be a little bit different this year because Roe was overturned. But my sense is there are not going to be very many swing voters who are motivated by the Democrats' stance on abortion. Um, most Americans, most Democrats even, don't actually support what Democrats want on abortion. And so while they might um, want a more moderate abortion policy than, than you or I, I don't think they're at all going to be motivated to go to the polls um, to vote for abortion on demand. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke is running on this in the governor's race in, in Texas. And he has kind of a it's kind of a tongue in cheek ad. I don't know if you've seen it of the woman. I don't think we have it to play, but it's she a woman and she's told by her doctor, hey, your baby has a fetal anomaly and um, uh, is going to die. And there's only one person who can decide what to do. And it's Greg Abbott. And so basically saying, you know, women are put in this terrible position of having to basically go to these male politicians in Texas to make these very intimate choices. They've put out some other kind of fear-mongering ads in the same way, in the same vein. And I'm just wondering if you think on the conservative side that Republicans are doing a good enough job of showing the other side of the moral question or the other side of this debate, which is that it's a human being. It's a child. And that pulls out our heartstrings, too. I'm not sure that I'm seeing it quite as much on the Republican side, but I'm curious what you think about the messaging. No, I, I have always had a problem with Republican messaging on this issue, and I don't think that it's gotten any better lately. If anything, I think it's gotten worse. Now, of course, mm -hmm. there are, are great pro-life groups who really um, kind of advertise on behalf of Republicans who highlight this issue. Um, but Republicans themselves, I think, for the most part, really don't want to touch it. Um, and I'm afraid that something like the result in Kansas the other night is going to send the wrong message, which is the pro-life issue is toxic. I don't think that's true. I think the pro-life position, by and large, is far more popular than Democrats. And Democrats don't have yeah. the luxury of being incrementalists, right? Their only position is abortion on demand. And if they start trying to draw lines... Um, they're in kind of a, an ethical and logical dilemma, right? How do you draw a line at 20 weeks? But for Republicans, they can say, look, I would prefer to have to protect all unborn children and their mothers, but I can vote for a 20-week ban if that's all we can get right now. I can vote for a 15-week ban. And so I think we have the luxury as pro-lifers and Republican politicians of kind of meeting, meeting Americans where they are and kind of trying to convince them that only a, a total protection would be just, but really meeting them where they are. And I, I really hope that Republican politicians become more comfortable doing that because the, the truth is on our side on this one.
All right, let me tell you about one of my all-time favorite sponsors. That is Adele Natural Cosmetics. Adele Natural Cosmetics is a family-run, holistic, handcrafted, and toxin-free cosmetic company where all of their products are made in the U.S. It started uh, because of owner Arlene's own health crisis that she experienced in 1999. She discovered that natural when not to put on products, that it can sometimes be a confusing word and figure that the only way that she could ensure that her products were actually natural um, was if she made them herself. So she did. She handcrafts and uh, artisan makes their cosmetics in small batches without the use of parabens, synthetic fragrances or preservatives, nanoparticles, petrol products, or anything else on an ingredient list that's just too difficult to pronounce. I love all of their stuff. I use their foundation. I use their uh, facial cleanser. I use their moisturizer. I use their serum every morning. And so I am wholeheartedly personally endorsing Adele Natural Cosmetics. Personally, I think that my skin has never looked and felt better. Love them so much. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Enter promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. This is a family-run company by Christians who are pro-life. You'll feel good about supporting them. Go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. I'm not sure if Republicans realize how effective it can be just to highlight the atrocity of abortion. And as you talk about so much and as you talk about in your book, the atrocity of abortion for women, not just the child. There's this story that I'll get your reaction to. It just came out the other day from live action. Minnesota report reveals five babies born alive after abortion in 2021. Um, And so these babies were born alive and they were denied medical care and they all died. I mean, who knows how painful, how gruesome that death was. Of course, abortion is always painful and gruesome, but we're talking about a slow death after the baby has exited the womb. Um, They were probably somewhere in the second trimester. And when Ben Sass tried to pass a few years ago, I think it was 2019, the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, all Democrats, including our current vice president, um, voted against it. Do you think stories like this can kind of show people the reality of the abortion industry? And I guess just what's your reaction to this? Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute horrifying reality. This does happen. And, and abortion supporters claim that it never does. But we have documented evidence of people, you know, human beings walking around who survived after being born alive in a botched abortion. So it does happen. We know this for a fact. Um, and I, I mean, I'm glad you raised this because to my mind, uh, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act that Ben Sass sponsored was the biggest pro-life success story, just legislatively speaking, over the last couple of years. Now, of course, the bill didn't pass because we didn't have the numbers, but I think it was an extremely effective bill because it forced Democrats either to be consistent on abortion or to vote for something heinous, right? Their options were to say, yes, because this baby was supposed to be aborted, you can leave it to die. Or no, actually, once it's born, we should protect it. But five seconds before, it's still okay to kill it. And so either way, they're kind of caught in this very difficult position. And and both votes or both positions really expose what abortion is. And the bill itself exposes what abortion is. Because we all know that baby is not a different entity two seconds later, you know, after coming out of the birth canal. So if we can leave it to die then, you know, how, what kind of position do we have if we're supporting abortion to say that you can then leave it to die um, because it was supposed to have been killed in the womb? It's just the whole thing is, is grotesque. Yes, yes. And it did reveal that. But of course, it didn't get the kind of media attention that it should have. The 
bill did not restrict abortion at all, and yet every single Democrat voted against it. Also, um, the story that came out of Washington, D.C., that live action also had a part of reporting, but I think it was actually a progressive anti-abortion activist group um, that originally reported on the five babies that I don't think they were born alive after an abortion, but they were late-term abortions and they could have been illegal abortions. Again, the people who say that we are the ones who are only pro-birth, that we are the ones who don't care about babies after they exit the room or the womb, I didn't see any reporting or any outrage about that. So they really do kind of tell on themselves that this is kind of an anti-life movement more than a pro-abortion movement. No, that's exactly right. I mean, the the fear about that story and the desire not to talk about it, I think is so telling yeah. about the pro-abortion movement, right? Just the, the total, if, if you think abortion is okay, it should be legal. It's a great thing for women. Why not just say, well, who cares, right? This is fine. What are you so upset about? But they didn't even want to talk about it because we all know that that's morally heinous. And when you see a a tiny baby with its skull crushed or whatever it is, we all know that that is evil and disgusting and not good for women and immoral, not good for our society. And no one wants to look at it. That's how the abortion movement succeeds. That's why we are where we are, because abortion is painful to look at and too many people look away. And I think that's why the other side has spent the past month talking about things like ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage, because talking about abortion is gross and painful. And everyone knows that it's a horrible act. And so they just try to talk about anything other than what happens in an abortion. Yeah. And we talked about it at the time, just those images of the baby. There was one like baby girl. And as you said, like the back of her skull was crushed from the abortion and her eye was still open, just like peering into the camera and how anyone could face that reality and still justify this as something that should be legal, much less acceptable and celebrated. I mean, it's just beyond me, but that's exactly why, as you said, people don't want to look at it. And as you said earlier, the truth is on our side. That's a really good way to know if you're on the right or wrong side. Does the truth help you or does it hurt you? Do you have to rely on euphemisms and propaganda or can you just tell the truth, Um, which you have done, especially in this, I think you said it was a 4,500 word piece about the laws and their actual effects on what is happening um, in these red states. What has been the reaction from the pro-abortion side? To the piece, I mean, everyone yeah. was very unhappy with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, I had spent a lot of time, I had written multiple shorter pieces, just kind of explaining the difference between treatment for an ectopic pregnancy or treatment after a miscarriage and a direct abortion. Uh, but it didn't really seem to be getting through. And so I, I said to myself, you know, I'm just going to put it all in one place, collect all the laws so there's nothing to debate anymore. Um, and kind of like I said before, it nobody cared about the text, right? The same people who had been um, attacking my earlier pieces or kind of uh, responding to me online personally about it uh, didn't care. Their response was the text doesn't matter and it's still the fault of the laws. And essentially what they were saying was no matter how you write these laws, we're not going to support them. And to me, I'm, I'm glad I wrote the piece, even though it, it doesn't seem to have changed people's opinions if they were already inclined to disagree or to be making this argument. But it really exposed, I think, that the other side doesn't care about the language of the laws. It's actually not about whether we word it carefully enough. There is no way to word a pro-life medical exception or a pro-life ectopic pregnancy definition or whatever it might be to satisfy these people because all they're doing is trying to distract from the abortion debate. Ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage have nothing to do with the debate over whether abortion should be legal. And pro-lifers know that, right? The other side doesn't want to talk about what's in the laws even. They, they just want to talk about anything other than abortion. 
Well, your piece is helpful in equipping pro-lifers because I know that you said that pro-lifers know that, but actually my inbox is filled on a daily basis and has been for the past month. How do I answer this? How do I answer this? I'm pro-life, but I had one person reach out to me and said, oh, I've got a friend's daughter. Um, I'm in Indiana. And she went to Um, she tried to get uh, care for a miscarriage and she wasn't able to. She was denied until she almost died. And I told this person, well, look, there's, there's no new restriction on abortion in Indiana. They haven't passed any restriction on abortion. And this person said, well, I'm just telling you what I know. So that's kind of, I think, the reaction and the confusing place that people are in, that they're not A lot of times, even pro-lifers aren't even asking the question, but what does the law say? What is the truth? They just don't want to be seen as someone who is anti-woman or they think, okay, well, I'm pro-life, but if these laws are leading to the inhibition of miscarriage care, then I can't be for it. So your piece actually, I mean, it does a lot. It does a lot to equip people and make them feel prepared to to have these conversations because it's rough out there in liberal uh, woman Instagram, unfortunately. It really is. I have not been enjoying my time on Instagram for the past month. Um, and, and I will say, kind of like you mentioned, the lies, the euphemisms, the propaganda, this chaos is the point, right? The yeah. other side has created this chaos on purpose because it's easier to do that than to defend their preferred abortion policy, which is deeply unpopular, deeply grotesque. Um, and that's that's really what they want. They're trying to create confusion on purpose. And so that's why I wrote the piece. That's why I wrote my book with Ryan. We really want pro-lifers to have access to the best information so that we can very confidently say, this chaos, this confusion is good for nobody. And and here's the truth. Yeah. Tell us more about this book, Tearing Us Apart. Yeah. So the idea, we we started working on it last fall, actually, in the hopes that it would come out in a post-Row America. Um, There you go. Yeah. Very grateful, of course, and and joyful that I did. Three days after the court overturned Row, the book came out. And and our thesis is basically, look, pro-lifers are great at explaining how abortion harms the unborn child. And that is the fundamental, grave, moral evil of abortion, of course. We have to be able to articulate that. But if it's true that this is a grave moral evil and that, you know, hundreds of thousands of unborn babies are killed every year in this country, how could it be that this doesn't harm everything else? And so we go through and catalog all the ways in which almost 50 years of legal abortion have harmed women, uh, torn apart families, harmed our medical system, uh, harmed communities who are already vulnerable, you know, the disabled, the poor, uh, minority communities. Um, we talk about how it's harmed our politics, our law, the Democratic Party in particular, and just kind of the corruption there and our culture. Um, and so we really try, you know, along the way, we, we assemble about uh, 30 pages of footnotes because we really want readers to be able to trace all of our arguments, to read for themselves, to do their own digging. Um, and, and while we, we would hope abortion supporters could read it and kind of at least see where we're coming from, it's a very reasonable case. We really do want to equip pro-lifers for the, the future of the, the post-Roe country. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I encourage everyone to go get it. They can get it on Amazon. I'm guessing they can pick it up at their local bookstore too. Yes, they can get it wherever books are sold. Awesome. And they can follow you and they can follow your work at National Review. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for taking the time to come on. Thank you. Great to be with you. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Alexandra is awesome. I really do recommend checking out all of her pieces. She has such good information that will equip you. Before we head out, let me tell you about Good Ranchers. So Good Ranchers has this awesome deal going on. In addition to their normal great deal that they give you with my link, goodranchers.com slash Allie, $30 off and free express shipping. They also are giving back this 
August to young children who often go unfed or end up malnourished from poor access to nutritious food. So with every box of meat that you get, you are also donating life-changing food to kids in need. So you go online, goodranchers.com slash Allie. You pick the American beef or chicken or seafood that you want. You order it. It's good for your family. But then they are using that order. They are using uh, your money to then donate food to kids who are in need, who don't have access easily to all of the awesome food typically that companies like Good Ranchers provides. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, join this movement. You'll get the $30 off and you'll also feel good about giving back. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, use my code Allie to claim your offer of $30 off any box of beef, chicken, or seafood. Goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right, guys, we've got lots of good stuff coming down the pipeline. We've got a fun video, a skit that will be coming out soon, maybe this weekend, maybe next week. Don't know. Keep you on your toes. We've got an amazing interview coming out on Monday. As always, please send your feedback. What topics do you want to see? What things do you want to see broken down? What get what guests do you want back? What segment ideas that you have? We are always open to the ideas of you guys who are, as I have said before, officially my executive producers, executive, executive producers. We, your wish is our command. Um, Also, also, we've got a lot of good merch that you guys can check out. I do want to tell you specifically about Blaze Sock. So I've got my own relatable merch. You can check that that out. We'll link it. But also we have Blaze socks and uh, they've got a special deal going on right now. They've got different kinds of patriotic socks. They've got DeSantis socks. They've got some MAGA socks. They've also got like making fun of the world economic socks. They're all American made. They're really awesome. You can go to blazesocks.com. You can use promo code Alley Socks for a discount. That's blazesocks.com and you can check out that merch. So there is one more thing that I wanted to say that I meant to say at the beginning of the episode, um, I just want to send my condolences to the families um, of the Indiana Congresswoman Jackie Walorski and her two staffers who died in a car wreck yesterday. Actually, our previous producer was very good friends with the young woman who died, Emma Thompson. Uh, Emma Thompson, she was only 28. Um, and then Zachary Potts was the other staffer, age 27. They all three died in a car wreck yesterday. Um, they were driving to an event. Someone coming the opposite direction accidentally veered over, head-on collision, and everyone involved died. I just cannot imagine what the families are experiencing right now, especially the parents of these two young adults who lost their lives too early. So I just wanted to make sure that we put uh, a a word out about that and that um, you could be praying for their families, of course, that they would be comforted, that they would be given peace, and also that somehow God would be glorified through this awful tragedy. All right. That's all that we have time for today. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. We will be back here on Monday.